0: From Schwartz Media, filling in for Ruby Jones, I'm El Marsh. This is 7am. The Liberal Party is now in the political wilderness. As well as a devastating federal election loss, the party is only in government in New South Wales and in Tasmania. The immediate reaction to the recent federal election focused on Scott Morrison's personal approval and a series of scandals in the last term of government. But is there a bigger decline happening here? Is something irreparably broken inside what was once Australia's most electorally successful political party? Today, senior correspondent for the Saturday paper, Mike Seckham, on if we're seeing the beginning of the end of Australia's Liberal Party. It's Thursday, June 23. Mike, you've spent the last month or so really digging into the collapse of the Liberal Party post-election and where they go to from here. What is the state of the federal Liberal Party right now and why do you think it's worth unpacking?
1: Well, the federal election result, hardly needs to be said, was terrible for the party. They got thoroughly trounced. But it's even worse than you might think and that's because we're not just looking at a party that might be rebuilding off one bad loss. The Liberal Party's vote has been declining all around Australia and it's been doing so for years. So um, if you look at the last 20 federal, state and territory elections, that's going back to 2014, the coalition saw its vote share fall in 19 out of those 20 elections by an average of almost 12 points. Mm. So this is all pretty staggering and it strongly suggests that the problem with the Liberal Party now isn't just a matter of rebranding from Scott Morrison or you know, after a few weeks of bad news stories. There's a longer-term structural decline happening here. And since the election, it seems the only answer the party has has been to install another hard-right leader, that is Peter Dutton, who in turn revealed a ministry practically devoid of moderate voices, you know, stacked with people like Angus Taylor and Michael Sukkar and Michaelia Cash. So essentially, increasingly, the voters are just not buying what the Liberals are selling. And I think behind it all, as the country has become more progressive the Liberals have gone in um, exactly the opposite direction, and that's a potential existential crisis for the party. And this is something that's not just happening at the federal level.
0: Yeah. So, Mike, you say this is happening all around the country, not just at a federal level. What's the situation when it comes to the state Liberal parties?
1: Well, let's take a little run around the country, shall we? At the moment, there's only one state in which the Conservatives hold a majority, and that's Tasmania, and it's only a majority of one seat. The Coalition is in a tenuous minority government in New South Wales, and everywhere else it's in opposition.
0: History's been made in Queensland. Anastasia Palaszczuk is on track to form a majority government after a stunning victory. Voters return the Premier for a third...
1: In Western Australia, there had been warnings inside the party for years about branch stacking by conservatives, particularly evangelical conservative churches, that was driving away traditional supporters. And those warnings were ignored. And at the most recent election, they were all but wiped out. There are only two Liberal members left in the lower house.
0: Well, look, it was a complete and utter landslide. There's no other word for it. It's rare for a major party to ever reach 50%, but
1: that was just an astonishing result. The Liberal Party had their lowest... South Australia, too. Another state that's seen an incursion by the Christian right. Peter Malinowskis is the new South Australian Premier after a landslide victory against the Liberal government. The result brings to an end the trend of pandemic... History repeats with minor variations in Victoria, you know, a right wing that is both dominant and politically unpopular, and I might say pretty inept. We have seen this time and time again in basically every state except New South Wales, that they're completely weak. They've vacated the field. Nobody knows even who the leader is in Victoria. You know, they don't know who the leader is. So, clearly, this is not just a federal problem. It's not just Scott Morrison's fault. This is an institutional problem for the Liberal Party across the country.
0: But, Mike, the Liberal Party aren't moving to the right absolutely everywhere. The New South Wales Liberal Party this week, they've sort of signalled a different shift. They've announced a few measures like flying the Aboriginal flag from the Harbour Bridge and they're also going to do their own shared equity scheme, policies that you might not think come from a Conservative government. That's a very different vision to where the rest of the party is heading, isn't it?
1: Well, it it is very interesting, isn't it? I would make a couple of points. First of all, most of those teal independents won election in New South Wales. And I think that that's had the effect of concentrating the minds of the New South Wales state government. And I think Dominic Perrottet, although he comes from the right of the party, I think he can see which way the wind's blowing. They are definitely, it seems to me, going to a much more progressive agenda than we've seen from a Liberal Party for a long time. So it may well be that they show the way back for the broader party.
0: And I suppose for now, it doesn't look like the Federal Party or the other state parties are really following that path across the country in all levels of government federal, state and local, the Liberal Party has continued to lose support as it's morphed into a more what seems to be like a right-wing conservative party. So how did the party get to this point where it's now seemingly facing an existential crisis? Well,
1: I trace it back decades. I trace it back to the rise of John Howard. 30 plus years ago, the dispute between the moderates and and the conservatives was pretty decisively won and John Howard held office for almost 12 years and, until 2007. So under Howard, moderates saw their aspirations in the parliament sidelined. Others lost their pre-selections. The rank and file became increasingly dominated by conservative people. And, and I might say, I, I kind of observed this happening incrementally. When I first joined the Canberra Press Gallery way back in 1986, you know, the, the heyday of the Hawke government, There was more focus, I think, on the big issues and much less focus on creating division for its own sake. And the Liberal Party, too, was much more of a broad church in those days, as I might say its founder, Sir Robert Menzies, intended.
0: So far as I'm concerned, uh, the prime goal of the opposition now is to uh, attack the Labor Party, to expose the weaknesses of the Hawke Labor government.
1: It was John Howard who first diverged from that centrist idea that the Liberal Party was founded on and indeed declared himself proudly to be the most conservative leader the party ever had. So Howard was, I guess, the godfather of today's version of the Liberal Party, you know, much more right-leaning than it was.
0: We have a proud record of welcoming people from 140 different nations, but we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come.
1: And he was helped along the way by... People that were employed by the party. A couple that most people wouldn't have heard of, Linton Crosby and Mark Texter. They were pollsters, strategists brought in to employ US style, Republican style tactics of division and negative politics in general, I guess you would say. And that strategy led to some historic wins. You know, the Tampa election, um, stuff over land rights and so on. But it it also sowed the seeds, I think, of long-term decline for the party.
0: We'll be back in a moment. As a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at the slash newsletters. Mike, we've been talking about the Liberal Party, and you mentioned there are two men that have been somewhat key architects of this strategy that the Liberals have been employing for the last 20 to 25 years. Can you tell me a little bit more about them and who they are?
1: Well, Mark Texter and Linton Crosby are political operatives, um, and they started out running a polling company, but it's more than a polling company. And they've been involved in this kind of campaigning for a very long time.
0: There's no, there's no silver bullet in politics. There's no particular technique that will guarantee that you'll you'll win the day.
1: Linton Crosby is actually now Sir Linton Crosby, having been knighted by the Conservatives.
0: The most important thing is message. Message matters most.
1: He was brought into the Conservative Party under Theresa May, and they ran a very negative election campaign there.
0: If you don't have a message that's relevant to people, that connects with what matters to them, it won't strike a chord with people and so it won't have an effect on them uh, and their, their lives.
1: He has a long history of working with Boris Johnson, but they began their careers, you know, to all intents and purposes in Australia, and they built this playbook for the more um, conservative Liberal Party. And if we look at one of the first campaigns they were involved in here, which was up in Queensland in the 1992 campaign, Today in Queensland, a woman's life can be worth as little as 15 months. Mother of four, Suzanne Stafford, was murdered around Christmas 1991. Her killer could be free by August next year. And the Conservatives then campaigned very strongly on claims that the then Labor government had blood on its hands after a prisoner who was out on early release committed a murder. And this was an almost direct steal from, from um a campaign that had been run in in America against a Democratic presidential candidate. Under Labor, robbery has increased by 66%. Under Labor, assaults have increased by 32%.
0: Under Labor, break and entry has increased by
1: 58%. So yeah, after that, they came into the big leagues in federal politics. They were heavily involved in Howard's victory in 96 and you can see through the Howard years, you can see sort of a, you know, Crosby Texter pattern emerging again and again. You know, targeting voters' fears about their safety, presenting Conservative politics as the side that will keep you safe and secure. Can I say to you,
0: and my first words are addressed to all of the people of Australia, that I am very conscious. Of the enormous responsibility that has been placed upon me and upon my colleagues
1: by the verdict of the australian people today you know the the standout example i guess was the children overboard affair which won the 2001 election which involved promoting a lie that asylum seekers and I'm not saying Crosby Texter was specifically responsible for formulating the lie, but the campaign technique was certainly of a kind with theirs, which was essentially finding an outgroup and magnifying the threat posed by that outgroup. So in this case, you know, these asylum seekers are so ruthless and so desperate they will throw their own children into the water in order to gain access to Australia, which is a wild exaggeration.
0: Mm, so we've seen this strategy being used for almost a couple of decades now, it seems, with the Liberal Party, and it seems to have worked in the past. But why isn't it working for the Liberal Party today, Mike?
1: Well, uh, I spoke to a, a number of political scientists and other academics about these strategies, and the essence of it is essentially that the public's begun to see through them. So at this election, of course, the Morrison government seized on a new external threat, the Chinese Communist Party. The suggestion here was that Labour were the Manchurian candidates, that they were actually more or less agents for the Chinese Communist Party. And this was ridiculous. I mean, one political scientist I spoke to, James Murphy, suggested that he didn't think that the government even thought that it would work. He called it a a dead cat strategy. And a dead cat strategy, just to clarify, is when debate is concentrating on your failings and you need to change the debate in, in a hurry, you throw a metaphorical dead cat on the table and go, look, a dead cat on the table, and hopefully people will forget what they were talking about.
0: And so it seems that these political strategies did work for short-term gains, such as the Tampa Affair and Howard, but surely they've done some long-term damage to uh, the political discourse and public's trust in government. What do you think about
1: that? So, so I think what's happened with, with Howard is that as long as he was exploiting this to gain votes it worked. But what happened over the longer term was it didn't just gain votes, it gained party membership. And over time, that party membership came to wield real power. And eventually it resulted in us getting Tony Abbott and then Scott Morrison as prime ministers. So it had a sort of roll-on effect whereby the right-wing grassroots to which they were seeking to appeal and whose votes they were seeking to harvest actually came to be more and more influential within the structures of the party itself. And so the whole thing incrementally and inevitably drifted rightwards and into areas of less substance, I guess, because I think if there's one thing that marks the Morrison government, it was a government almost completely lacking in substance. It, it existed purely on the basis of a certain degree of claimed managerialism and not much else. You know, there wasn't much there.
0: And Mike, where do you think the party will go to from here? I mean, if they're stuck moving further and further to the right with arguably one of the most right-wing leaders they've ever had, Peter Dutton, but this move is losing them support, will they ever reset?
1: Well, I I don't know. Um, Even if Peter Dutton, you know, hard man of the right, even if he were minded to try to shift the party back closer to the centre, there's enormous difficulties. You know, they're still in coalition with the National Party. They're clearly having... And, and increasingly having problems finding substantial candidates because good people, for various reasons, don't want to join up. So it's hard to see. And it makes me think back, I have to say, and it made a number of the people I was speaking to think back to the very founding of the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party was built from the wreckage of its conservative predecessor, the United Australia Party, which was dissolved after a series of defeats. And Sir Robert Menzies, Robert Menzies then built the new party, saying that that its predecessor had become too divisive, too conservative, too beholden to vested interests. You know, it sounds like a familiar story, doesn't it? And some people are wondering, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but some people are wondering if the conservative side of politics needs to have that kind of total implosion again at the end of its, its life cycle, and then phoenix-like re-emerge in a new form. So, you know, I, I don't know, but all, all I can tell you is that they're in desperate trouble at the moment.
0: Mike, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Pleasure. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, the New South Wales Independent Liquor and Gaming Authority has given Crown Resorts conditional approval to open a casino in Sydney's Barangaroo complex. The decision comes over a year after the lengthy public inquiry into Crown which exposed allegations of money laundering and ultimately deemed the company was unfit to hold a gaming licence. And the federal workplace watchdog has confirmed that 11 Australian universities are being investigated for wage theft. The Fair Work Ombudsman Sandra Parker said investigating the tertiary education sector was on this year's priority list as the underpayment of staff had become a systemic issue. I'm Elle Marsh. this is 7am, see you later.